Welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. It's the Business of Agriculture, and I promise you, from the very beginning, we would not bore you. You keep it interesting. No grain charts here. No boring spot price corn in March predictions, because you've got that on your phone. I bring an interesting guest, and today is no exception. I've got Casey Seymour. He's an equipment guy. He's also the host of Moving Iron Podcast. If you keep up on social media, he's got a hell of a presence. Sharp guy. Uh, no ag background. Born in the Wichita, Kansas area. Has a degree from Kansas State University, not even in agriculture. Then he went to a small university and got an MBA. He works for 21st Century Equipment in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. He's a sharp dude. I came across him. I, I listened to some of his stuff. And I thought, this is the kind of guy that can give me some perspective. We're going to talk not about machinery particularly. We're not going to talk about the, the sickle bar problems of the 1997 uh, uh, John Deere combine. No, we're not going to talk about mechanical issues and the wind rower that you had break down last week. We're going to talk about big picture agricultural economics, the world of agriculture seen through the eyes of an equipment guy. We're talking about machinery, selling machinery, the economics again of the world. And is ag downturn over? We're talking about trends. We're talking about issues. We're talking about agriculture. Seen through the eyes of Casey Seymour. Welcome to the show, Mr. Seymour. I appreciate you being on here, and it's an honor. Thanks, buddy. You appreciate me being on here. Well, I'm on here all the time. You're the one that's new to being on here. Uh, Casey, tell me about you. I gave the quick – you've been in the machinery business for 14 years, and then a year or so ago you started this ag podcast. Let's start about 14 years ago. You're 41 years old. So there you are. You're a 27-year-old. Probably what living on the street, uh, sleeping by a subway station in, in downtown Chicago, and you said, "What can I do? Move to Scottsbluff, Nebraska, sell combines." I'm kidding. What's the real background? Um, when I was in college, my my dad been in the oil field business. My I'm the only generation in my family not to be in the oil field business since uh, Kansas was a territory. So uh, I was going through school, and my dad said, "Face, uh, what do you want to do with yourself?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm going to go be a." geologist dad i want to i want to go wildcat oil go all over the world and try to see if i can't figure out something to do and he told me that was the dumbest idea that that could possibly come up with because you're going to go to bed rich one day and you're going to wake up poor the next and i thought well well he's a smart guy he knows what he's doing so i decided to change my major and just kind of went off and did something i just graduated and went through everything and uh my joke with my dad now is i picked the next best thing when it comes to volatility, um, agriculture, because it's so much safer than the oil business, right? <laughs> so there's, lot, there's lots of people in agriculture that are saying, wait a minute, I just made a bad trade. I went to bed rich and this morning woke up poor, so they can relate yeah. to that. Yeah, so it's, uh, I, I joke with them all the time that I, I pick the next best thing. Um, my, my background is uh, pretty, just typical, typical Kai. I mean, I don't have any anything crazy or wild uh, that happened. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm. I don't have any family that farms. I don't have any distant relatives. I mean, I guess my great grandma had a uh, cotton tobacco farm in North Carolina, but um, outside of that, I, I think I went there twice, maybe when I was, when I was eight. So um, that's my, that's my farm experience. I hauled hay one summer. So that's my, uh, that's my robust agricultural background there. So 14 years ago, you're 27 years old and you're changing jobs from whatever you were doing before and you decided that you landed in machinery and agricultural machinery. So where was the first step? My first job was working for a cat challenger dealer in Wichita. And 
I got that job because I called on him. I worked for an, uh, an equipment association at the time. And I went into calling them about joining the association and my sales pitch turned into a job interview. And I told him it's the only time I ever had a job where I told him it was uh, probably the, not a good idea to hire me because I didn't know anything about what they wanted me to, to go do. And uh, that was 2006, 2004, something like that. And the rest is history. You know, I worked there for three years and um, got a call to come out here and work. And I worked here for three years. Then I moved back to Wichita and worked for a dealer back home for a little while. And then I moved back out here about a year ago. So that's how I. So you made the switch from, you went from uh, knowing nothing about machinery per se to join an AGCO. And then you're, you're working for an AGCO dealer. Then you go and join the John Deere people. And then you uh, went to another one. Yeah. No. Yeah. I went another John Deere dealer back home. So I went, I went from Wichita to Scotts Bluff, back to Wichita, back to Scotts Bluff. Got it. All right. Real quickly for those that are listening, cause I've got listeners in Canada. I've got listeners in Indiana where I live here. I've got listeners in California. Uh, if you've never been to Nebraska and I have been there a lot, cause remember I do speaking engagements at ag events and meetings all over North America. And there is a big difference from what basically, let me just explain Nebraska. Because uh, my man Casey here works in western Nebraska. So you start off on the east coast of Nebraska, uh, over there in Omaha. And it's, Omaha is basically like Des Moines. And those people wouldn't like me saying that, but there's almost no difference between Des Moines and Omaha from the outside perspective. They're roughly the same size. They're both the largest city in their state. They're both very agricultural states. And Omaha looks a lot like Iowa. You start going west, you start losing population. Get a little hot. Get a little higher and drier as you go. So by the time you get clear over to the west coast of Nebraska, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, it's an island out there. It's the only city for miles and miles, and it's not even a big city. There's out uh, outcroppings of rock, and there's you know mule deer and stuff. It's like what the hell just happened? What happened is you went from the Midwest to the west. That's how I would say it when you go sure. from the east side of Nebraska to the west. Casey covers an area that's uh, roughly in size of, say, Wisconsin. Basically, there in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, going over to parts of Wyoming, parts of Colorado, and uh, you said a little bit of Kansas, no? Uh, we have like one county in Kansas, yeah, very okay. extreme western. So that's, that's the deal. So, But more importantly, so now you know a little bit about his background and what he does, let's talk more importantly about what he sees, because I think it's important to see our industry from various perspectives. You know, that's part of what I do for my audiences. I say, hey, I'm a guy that has an ag econ degree and owns farms in Indiana, was raised on a dairy farm. And I'm going to tell you, my background is this, but here's what I'm seeing when I'm doing presentations for the peanut producers down in, uh, in Florida and Alabama. I'll give you a great example there about how you, you have to see stuff from other people's perspectives. Everybody's heard of Virginia peanuts. So there I am at the peanut conference four years ago, and I keep talking to these folks about peanut production. And I said something about Virginia, and finally the guy that hired me pulled me aside and said, Damien, you need to understand peanut production. We have one county here in Alabama that grows more peanuts than the entire state of Virginia does. Peanut production happens in Virginia, not even close. No, peanut production really happens at any quantifiable level in Alabama, Georgia, the Panhandle, Florida, and Mississippi. So we got to understand you always see different perspectives. Mr. Seymour has got this Moving Iron podcast because he's a business-oriented guy and he sees stuff from his perspective. What are you seeing in machinery? Tell me what you're seeing. Big picture, machinery, ag economics, et cetera. Let's start with machinery. What's happening in agricultural equipment? Okay, so when I look at 
what's going on right now. I mean, we, we're at a point now with, uh, with producers where they are, we're, we're, we're having a pretty good year. And I think most guys are having a, a better year than they've had in the past. And it's a lot of it. When I'm talking about the equipment side, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have hit that point in time where guys have to do something because they want to, not because they or because they have to, not because they want to. And, and the reason for that is they've, they've run the proverbial wheels off of what they've got. They've pieced it together, um, you know, worked on it as much as they can, um, kept things going as hard as long as they can. And now they're up against some larger shop bills that they're going to have to have to face. And from a cash flow perspective and diminishing returns and all that kind of stuff, guys are looking at um, their equipment and saying, okay, I can spend X, Y, Z dollars over here at the shop getting things fixed, or I can do for a few dollars more, I can just get a new to me combine or a brand new combine or whatever their, whatever their angle is. And that's what we're seeing a spike in our, in our equipment sales right now. It has nothing to do with a bunch of money laying out in the, in the marketplace. It has everything to do with it's time to upgrade their equipment. Yeah. Now, when the boom was on, say between 2005 and 2013, I made the point that uh, uh, these people around here were making so much money. And the producers I'm talking about were, were just really killing it. I mean, I would make like they're burying their money. And uh, I live in an area that gets 40 inches of annual precipitation. So we use drainage tile. And so uh, when you see things being really good, man, these drainage tile folks are just going crazy because farmers are burying their money because you've got a huge income. You want to invest it back into your real estate. You go out there and you put in drainage tile. Well, then they also had uh, new buildings get built and then uh, grain handling facilities. And then, of course, on the machinery front. Now, I made the crack by about 2013. I called the high water mark in 2012. And so I think that we're going to start going down from here. It was one year off. 2013, I said, these people have so much new machinery. If we don't sell a new piece of machinery for another decade, they'll be fine. Apparently, I was wrong by that by, by half. I thought they could go 10 years with all the new stuff they stocked up on. You're telling me we've gone five, and it's time to be trading it in. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do with um, the producers that are trading that stuff in are the guys that are, are, are the larger production guys, you know. Um, where downtime and efficiencies are, are a big part of their business. Not, not that the small guy doesn't worry about efficiencies and downtime and everything else, but the larger producer, they're worried about, you know, getting their 5,000 acres of wheat cut or their, you know, 3,500 acres of corn cut. And then they've got 2,000 acres of beans and they, you know, they have a lot to, to take care of and they're, and they're wanting to be as efficient as possible, but also manage their cost per acre. So, um, when I say that, I'm saying that we have, um, if you put, that's just a good example. So if you go out and you put twenty-five or $30,000 into your combine when it comes back in, you made it operate, you made it go out and work. Um, we as the dealership, when we traded it in, we were going to, you know, estimate something in that neighborhood anyway. So, I mean, really you, you can either go out and run your machine, spend the money and go out and run your machine again, or you can trade it in and either way you're going to spend the money. And that's the easiest way to put it. Yeah. So you're talking about the point is if, if it needs $30,000, you either, I say this all the time, you either, either pay for it or you pay for it. You know, right. talk about like I've, I've bought and sold some real estate. Well, why would you spend the money fixing it up? You're just going to sell it. Well, you either pay for it and sell it or you either sell it and then you take the hit on it. So yeah, it's the same kind of thing, right? Yep. Absolutely. I read There's it. a lot of, uh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
I was going to say that if you look at what's happening across the, uh, across the landscape, I mean, um, combine levels, if you take a look at, at what you see out there for combine, use combine levels, um, they've been kind of bouncing around a little bit. Um, obviously, they're down a lot from what they were in, in 2014, but the last five years, the combine marketplace hasn't changed much. I mean, it's now, when you say the levels are down, you mean the quantity, the, the volume of machines or the price point? The volume of machines, yeah. The volume okay. of machines are, are, are down. Um, from what they were in 2014, obviously. I mean, we they sold a lot of auction stuff, and, and a lot of equipment got got shuffled out of the uh, of this of the cycle through that. But for the most part, it's it's really uh, it's been kind of the same level across the board. Um, there's some peaks and valleys, obviously, but it, we're starting to see that now. I mean, in my opinion, 2018 is is going to be one of the years you look back on and say it was one of the tougher years in, in the downturn. Um, and the reason for that is guys have gone, I kind of marked 2013 as the pinnacle. And then it kind of went down from there and kind of my armchair quarterback looking back on, you know, 2020 hindsight vision there. Um, you look at everything that's happened. 2018 is that year where guys have scraped together enough, you know, the equity that they could come up with the, wherever they could find money, whether it was leasing equipment or whatever it was. And 2018 is the year where um, we've hit that point of guys have stretched themselves about as far as they can be stretched. And okay. So you're talking about on the production side, the production side you think is probably uh, is tough in 2018 for the producer, just because of the way we, we've seen a little bump in interest rates. Uh, you know, the, the, the bell tolled on, on some equipment. You've got no choice but to go ahead and upgrade some machinery. So we were getting squeezed on the commodity prices. So you're saying 2018 from a production producer standpoint is probably going to be uh, our trough. Is that what I think? Yeah. yeah, I think so. And I think we're at, we're just, we're hit, we've hit that point now where guys are, they, they've used up what they could do, what they've had, what they've sure. had available. Now, conversely, uh, you said that for you, your business uh, is doing okay. Yeah, and that's because of they, they've hit that point now where they've got they have to do something. You know, okay. it's, it's, not, it's no longer cost effective for them to uh, keep duct tape and bailing wire and stuff together to make sure it works. Okay, so last week, let's go ahead and give some numbers or at least some some trends, if we will. I saw last week okay. that uh, small two wheel drive tractors uh, sales are up like ten percent. And now I'm talking then, you know, the kind of stuff for hobbyists. And then from the hobbyist to the contractor, uh, to the landscaper, those kind of tractors uh, sales are up, I am seeing. Of course, that goes with the general economy, not with the ag economy. You know, that's the person that's out here doing concrete forms and planting bushes and putting in yards. But then stuff that is purely agricultural. Uh, stuff that and talked about two-wheel drive tractors up to 130 horse, which I don't even know how many of those exist. Certainly in my part of the world, we put front wheel assist on most things. And then what are we seeing? You just told me that combine, use combine volume is very little out there because it all got gobbled up. Where, what's happening in trends in machinery sales? What's selling? What's sitting? What's stagnant? Talk. There's plenty of combines, by the way. Use combines in the market. There's 14,000 of them, I think something like that, roughly on, on the various websites that you can go out and take a look at They're 14 or 15,000, something like that. Um, for the most part, we're the same way. I mean, we, we sell one or two <clears throat> two wheel drive tractors a year, <coughs> excuse me. 
fuel drive tractors a year and most of our stuff that's 130 horsepower loader tractor 100 you know working on the out in the in the cattle pens and what have you moving hay bailing hay those kind of things um those those machines are all front wheel assist with loaders on them um the full drive market they start looking at that um that's become real stagnant i feel like there's a bit of a lull there uh, and we got some stagnation in in bigger tractors yeah the higher horsepower stuff is starting to it's starting to kind of slow down a little bit. Um, even on row crop tractors, we're starting to see a little bit of a, of a slowdown. We start looking at, at what's out there, but I mean, we're still, we're, I'm not, when I say slow down, it's, it's, it's not much, you know what I mean? It's, it's enough to, to really have a, it's noticeable, but it, we're still selling them. I mean, I think yesterday we sold five row crop tractors. So I'm not, you know, high horsepower row crop tractors. So I'm not, I'm not concerned. We have, we're trying to find the ones we can get to get on the lot and, and, and do what we need to do. So there's, there's a there's drive there and there's demand there. We're also in that time of the year when guys are going to start making those end of the year decisions too. So you start seeing a ramp up and buying now anyway. So yeah, it's it's, uh, it's mid October as we're recording this, and between now and December thirty first, a lot of stuff gets sold because we all know, and I make jokes about it. These ag people, they'll do they'll do anything they can to avoid paying taxes. They they'll run in there and you could put out as I wake up point. If I was if I was done doing what I was doing, I make this joke. If I was done doing what I'm doing. I'm going to my retirement gig. I'm going to buy up obscure machinery and I'm going to get a guy like you that knows what's going on with machinery. And we're just going to buy up a train full of obscure machinery. And we're going to go to the part of the agricultural community that's really killed it. And we're going to sell the hell out of it in December. All we got to do is have, is have, has a, have the tax documents to prove that it was all sold by December 31st. We could sell amphibious lunar rovers as agricultural machinery in December. If they've had a fat year and they want to, Lose it for the tax. Yeah, that's that's no joke. There's Let's talk about the economics of ag. Casey Seymour, by the way, in case you just stepped away and grabbed a Coke and you forgot who I was talking to. This is Casey Seymour. He's the host of Moving Iron Podcast. He's a smart dude, an equipment guy in western Nebraska. And he also keeps eye on the big picture. The economics of agriculture, we just talked about it. I actually say the misery is overstated. You know, there's an old joke about agriculture that, you know, it's always too wet, too dry, too this, too that. And none of them will ever admit to making any money. I said the misery is overstated because somebody got on social media and told me how insensitive I was that, that these farmers were losing their farms because of tariffs. And I said, please let me correct you. The tariffs that started this summer, and you're losing your farm in September because of a tariff that was announced in April. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to buy that. So we're, we're kind of having people that maybe they are in financial dire straits, but let's not blame it on something that's happened here a month ago. Just like we also must admit the USDA is throwing some money at these people. I've gone to the meetings for the margin protection uh, uh, programs and the market facilitation programs. Uh, there's a USDA involvement. What are you seeing? Yeah, it's going to be a low. It's going to be a low year, but we've seen this before. I was raised in the '80s. Here's a small dairy farmer in Indiana, and 18% interest. So I think the misery has been overstated. It's not as bad, certainly as it's been. It's going to be a tough year, but it's something we can all get through. Obviously, guys are struggling. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, if the tariff thing hasn't helped anything, but it, I don't know that it's actually hurt anything long you know in the short term um odds are if you were going to lose your farm you're going to lose your farm anyway regardless if there was a tariff or not um it goes back to my earlier statement that guys have, if they they've soaked up everything they can soak up and and now they're up against uh, the wall are guys going broke 
it's like any downturn, you know, you're going to have 20% or 10%, something like that, roughly that are going to exit the marketplace during a downturn. Um, and, and that's, we see that happening. That's a, that's a, that's a national thing. And there's no, we're not any different than any other part of the world. I wish, wish we were on an island someplace where everybody was making tons of money and we could just sell the crap out of stuff. But no, we see, we see this all the time. I mean, yeah. you know, I, and I know that ag gets compared to the 80s, and there's folks out here that are 35 years old listening to our podcast saying, I don't even know why he's talking about the 80s. Hell, I wasn't even around then. I'm just telling you, but uh, as I point out all the time, to tell you in a comparison, the 1980s, we had 18% interest. We had completely upside down. We had assets in Indiana that were so bad, and not just Indiana. We had assets in agriculture that were so bad, the bank wouldn't even repossess them. So we, we're nowhere. Think of that. You were so you were so bad off. The bank didn't even want you. You know they didn't want your land back because it was so upside down and backwards. So we're not there. Yeah, there's going to be a little shakeout. There's going to be a little softening, and that unfortunately has been the story of this industry, the business of agriculture, since uh, 200 years ago, at least here in North America. One point I would make about the 80s, I, I hear guys talk about that a lot, and I, I was in 1980. I was three years old, so. Um, you know, there wasn't, I don't really have a recollection, recollection of that much. I mean, my dad was in the oil field. So I remember hearing the different talks my parents would have about the oil business in the 1980s, which weren't necessarily uh, good times, but keep in, keep in perspective. One thing I, I always, I always tell people when I talk about this is in 1980, if you farmed and you had a million dollars worth of, of equipment, that pretty much was your farm, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was all your, Harvest stuff, all your planting stuff, all your tillage stuff, all your support equipment, everything that was out there. Today, if you have a million dollars worth of equipment, you have a combine, two heads, and a planter, and mm -hmm. and and maybe a sprayer. That that's going to be your your million dollars worth of equipment. So you 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 might be able to plant it, you might be able to harvest it, and you might be able to spray for weeds. Um, you haven't got it. You, you have no other equipment yet. So, um, yeah, there's eighteen percent interest in in 1980. And that was a bad deal, but right now you're looking at 6% interest rates on a lot of farm notes when it comes to equipment and take that across six or $7 million worth of equipment and tell me how much interest you're paying. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously the numbers are bigger, but they've always, I mean, this is, this has been the nature forever. It's always been the numbers have always worked that way. Uh, <clears throat> obviously I think that we're probably going to my, my, I continue to be a cheerleader for American agriculture and the business of agriculture. We're going to actually get some good trade deals have already been announced. We're going to continue to work. Right now we're working with uh, England, which are Britain, which dropped out of the EU. We've got the EU talks going on. we got Japan. But the no matter what trade deals we come up with, that's going to be good because we're going to be selling product, but that's still not fixed prices. And this is something as an agricultural economist, I point out, tariffs didn't create $8 soybeans. Supply created $8 soybeans. And it's going to be the same thing on wheat, corn, beef, chicken, etc. Supply sets price, not tariffs. Um, now, speaking of trade and international things, Casey, you went to Ukraine. You went to Ukraine to sell some equipment. What did you see? Um, massive drought. There was a, we went there in May, June, June of this year. And so they sent a guy from Nebraska mm -hmm. over to Ukraine to sell machinery. Who do you talk to? Um, well, we have a we have a Ukrainian guy on staff here, and and he he takes care of our, our that area for us. So me, and him, and another guy went over to Ukraine to um, drive some more business. Um, Alex had some some contacts over there that we went and visited. We also made a lot of cold calls on just dropping in on on uh, equipment dealerships and um, 
Alex, the week before we got over there, Alex was at a farm show over there. So he, he got some, some stuff lined up. So, you know, we just kind of took off across the countryside there and met, went and talked to people that we already had relationships with. And, and then other people that we had come across, uh, Alex had come across and just went and talked to him about, uh, you know, more wholesale buyers and, and not so much end users, but, um, yeah, we traveled, traveled the countryside there and, and got to see a lot of, uh, a lot of Ukraine. What do you see happening in Ukraine? What do you see happening over there uh, that they're doing well and they're doing poorly? You know, compare it to Nebraska or Iowa or anywhere else that you've been here in the U.S. Ukraine is one of those countries that the soil is, uh, if you go to go to, to uh, any garden store and, and pick a, pot, a bag of potting soil, that is, that's Nebraska, that is uh, Ukrainian soil. There's, there's just, uh, it's in this, feet you know yeah. 10 feet 15 okay, feet so stuff. ukraine is the ukraine has the the illinois of asia pretty much ukraine is like iowa illinois and indiana had a kid right yeah. and that, that's that's what you've got um the crops they grow are, are primarily they're a wheat producing country and a lot of soy or a lot of uh sunflowers soybeans a little bit of soybeans and bit and corn and you think that would be flipped you know you think they would have a lot more you know big cash crops corn uh, soybeans, those kind of things, you know, it's perfect soil and they get 30 to plus inches of rain a year, you know, in an area this year was an off year where they had a, had a drought situation going on, but, um, it's still very, it's still very much a developing country. You know, are they going to re, are, is Ukraine going to, I mean, I point out all the time, again, we talk about the commodity issue. Tariffs didn't create commodity prices, supply created commodity prices. Remember when they saw us making $500 an acre growing corn and soybeans here in Indiana during 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, uh, 13, I guess, uh, they said, wait a minute, we can, we can ramp up our acres. You know, Uzbekistan, uh, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, South Africa, Argentina, Brazil, India, you name it, all these other countries came online with new acres. Uh, is that going to continue? Is that continuing? Are they getting more productive? Are they grabbing more acres over there? Well, uh, yeah, they're going to, but I want you to picture this. So go, go to your local, wherever you're at and go to a, the worst paved County road that you have. It's got full potholes and everything else. That's, that's a normal road in the Ukraine. They have no, the infrastructure is what's killing them. You know, right. that's why we can do what we can do. And that's why we're a superpower uh, when it comes to, um, exporting, you know, we, we're lucky enough to have our a major river run right through the heart of our our largest ag producing yeah. crop anyway producing area that we can get stuff to ports and out in, in just a few days. Yeah, it's all about infrastructure. You hear that about Brazil? I mean, I had a video that I saw at one of the ag conferences I did for Trimble, and there's a guy there from Brazil, huge farmer, and he showed me he and his girlfriend took a motorcycle ride on what would be some of the better highways, and they had their cameras on. And it, it looked like if you went out uh, on a logging path off to a dirt path to get to a field, that was what their highways looked like. So I understand what you're saying, and which is why we need to continue as an agricultural industry to push infrastructure spending here in the United States on highways, rail, and uh, water. Yeah, and that's, that's what separates us from the rest of the world now. We, we need to pick up our game when it comes to that. We have issues on the, on the Mississippi River with the with the lock locks and those kind of things. And we need to, we need to step it up and figure it out. China's investing tons of money into Brazil and Africa for infrastructure. So they can, you know, go, China owns lots of ground in Africa that they're going to go produce and, and, and reallocate those, those 
soybeans and corn and everything else out of Africa back to, to yeah. Chile. Folks don't sure. like it when I say this. When we uh, There's folks that get into arguments with me and say, well, we just pissed off our customer. They'll never come back. Trust me, China didn't want to be our customer to begin with. China does what's well for China. China doesn't want to be in any way uh, dependent on the United States of America. That's why they're taking their money from our spending and right. using it to acquire assets and build infrastructure in, like you said, places uh, in third world countries. Yep. I'm going to switch gears now because I'm talking to a guy that is a big picture guy. He's an equipment guy. He's a, he's a smart guy. Casey Seymour, 21st Century Equipment. He knows about this stuff. Autonomous machinery. I wrote an article after I went to a big farm show two years ago. And I said, uh, it's a great idea whose idea has come, but its timing is terrible. Because I said, we're not going to have agricultural producers buying into the best new, sharpest new equipment when we're in a downturn and autonomous operated equipment is probably a little too shiny, a little too expensive, a little too radical, a little too new, a little too expensive at this time. Where do you see this going? Uh, I, I disagree with that. Um, oh, there we go. See, a great <laughs> podcast has dissent. Casey Seymour knows he can disagree with me because he's sitting in Nebraska and I'm sitting in Indiana. <laughs> I think right now, I think we're on the cusp of, of the next five years of, of ag is going to be the most exciting time that we've seen, uh, especially on the equipment side of the business than we've ever seen in the history of, of agriculture. Um, right now, we uh, we just signed a contract with a, with a company called Smart Ag, and we're going to be a dealer for them. And they've generated a, uh, a system that you can plug into a tractor, and it makes it completely autonomous. No one has to be inside of it. It's completely driverless, right? Um, on a, an existing uh, 8R tractor, right? Um, and it's called auto cart. And the idea being that it runs between the combine and the grain trailer completely by itself. You don't have to wait on anything. You, you manage it through an Okay, so wait a minute budget. now. These headless horsemen, these tractors that they, uh, they put the shiny pipes on them. I saw it was your competitor, Case IH, when I was at this farm show. It had the tires that were about, you know, as tall as the Empire State Building, and it had big old shiny pipes coming off it. And then, of course, they made a dramatic statement by making sure there's no cab at all. It was the headless horseman. You won't have those. You're going to take what you're telling me, an existing tractor, and throw some software into it and a little hardware and make it work on its own. So it won't be a headless horseman tractor, per se, at first. At first, no. No, it won't. Because I, I think there's going to be uh, plenty of guys that still want to sit. Right now, guys are in the tractor right now with auto steer and, and everything. They like, they like sitting in tractors is what they've done. They're sitting in the tractor monitoring monitors. That's yeah. what they're doing. They're yeah. not. They're not driving it. You know, they're yeah. maybe down the road. They are, but when they're out working, they're not. They're not driving it. Well, they're texting and they're tweeting and and they're and hopefully they're listening to you and I on our podcast. So you yeah. uh, disagree with me there, Casey, because you said I'm wrong when I said these autonomous tractors, these autonomous machines, are uh, ten years down the road because their idea came a little at the wrong time with the ag economy. You say I'm off. I think I think the the reason I think you're wrong is I think it's the right time because on farm labor has been has become such an issue. Yeah, um, now we've we've seen that tight. Now here's the thing: I made that prediction two years ago. Two years ago, we were not sitting. A lot's happened. So to at least give me this credit, if I had made that prediction two years ago, I would not have done it when we had seven million unfilled jobs. You saw that this week: seven point one million unfilled jobs and the lowest unemployment that has ever happened since uh, 1969 in the United States. When I made my prediction, we were not in that situation where labor was such an issue. So I might amend my statement, but I still am going to always remember that you disagree with me. And in the way I'm going to remember it is you challenged me to a physical altercation. <laughs> 
I think if you take a look at, at what's going on, even even back then, even when corn was seven bucks, we still had on-farm labor issues. Um, regardless of where it's at, the number of people that want to come back and work at the farm um, just just aren't there. They're, they're just it's just a dwindling number every year. Um, I'm not a, like I said, I'm not a I'm not a farm kid. You know, I didn't grow up on the farm, and if somebody would have said I would have been working in this business when I was in high school, I'd have probably laughed at them. But it was, you know. I go to job fairs and, and we, we talk to these kids and I try to hunt down every business major I can find or a finance guy or whatever it is. And like, Hey man, you have to think about coming work for the dealership and here's what we can do. And I'm not a farm kid and this is where we're at, you know? Um, once you start having that conversation with them, it opens their eyes to what, to what it is. I mean, they, a lot of people's perception of this business is still the, the bib overall, you know, piece of straw hanging out of your yeah, mouth. Yeah, well, and you and I both hate that. That's one of the things yeah. I lash out against. I've been lashing out against it since I was a child. I lash out against it at my audiences. When I'm in an agricultural thing, I look out in my audience and I see somebody dressed like that. I want to go over and use them as an example of this is why the media continues to per perceive and, and portray our, our industry as bib overall wearing backward bumpkins because you let them do it and you perpetuate it yourself. I can't stand that. I'm just like you. And I agree. We need more non-ag people coming into this industry because we need talent. We need smart people that are willing to work. Now, they're going to always have a little bit of a uh, learning curve as you oh, yeah. because there's do. things that we I do. I can't there. begin to tell you my learning curve. I didn't know well, what a creeper head was when I started doing this. But I got to say, I've been calling you a sharp guy, but I got to tell you, I'm going to amend that also. When you start disagreeing with me and getting like challenged me physically there a little bit, I think it just proves you don't realize what a tough son of a bitch I am, Casey. I, 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 I'm, I apologize. I, mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I am scared right now. You should be. Hey, Casey, do me this favor. Tell us about the Moving Iron podcast because folks that are listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast might want to tune in once in a while and learn about what's happening in the world of machinery. Yeah. Moving Iron podcast is a, is a podcast that it goes around the business of the you know, ag equipment business. That's really what it comes down to. Um, I have uh, Aaron Fennel. He's a, a walking encyclopedia of, of tractor knowledge. No, you didn't call him that when we were prepping. You called him something else. <laughs> he, knows, he knows lots of Lots of terms that I use when I, of endearing terms, by the way. You call him an equipment geek. <coughs> he is. Okay. So, you got, equipment geek, so, man. so you're the host, you're the ringmaster, you got an equipment geek, and you've got a gal that's on there. Right. Regina Nargis. And Regina is, uh, she lives, eat, and breathes agriculture. Um, she's all about it. Her, her and her husband have a farm and a ranch that they, that they, uh, operate south of Sydney, Nebraska here. And, uh, both those people make my job pretty easy. So I'm, I'm lucky to have them on there. But the, the whole idea behind the podcast is we're talking about what's going on in the equipment business, what we see happening uh, in, in, in the different aspects of, of the economy and how that affects the business. I've got a guy by the name of Glenn Birnbaum that comes on and does tax move of the week, talk about different tax issues that come up. And then I've got Chip Nellinger from Blue Reef Ag and Marketing that talks about uh, twice a week, talks about uh, what's going on in the markets. And allegedly you're going to have me on someday. Uh, but I don't know. Now that we've had this terrible confrontation, we may never be able to see eye to eye ever again. I feel threatened. I don't know if I can, can go through this one more time with you or not. AC Seymour has been my guest. Give me your final thoughts, my friend. Man, I'll just tell you guys, I think that, that agriculture is getting ready to take back off. We're, we're we've hit the bottom and, and we're bouncing across the bottom right now. We're going to, we're going to rock it back out of this thing. And I'm excited about the future and, and, uh, there's going to be just some great things that happen and I'm, I'm excited to be in this business.
I agree. I actually agree wholeheartedly. And uh, as I point out, this has been the norm. Uh, you know, I've, I've got the degree in ag econ, and I've been paying attention since I was a kid. And, and I've gone back and looked at the history. It cycles come, cycles go. Uh, this is more ag normal. Super cycles like we saw are, aren't normal, but uh, there's going to be a, the middle ground in between. I think we're heading there uh, pretty quickly. I'm Damian Mason. You've been listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast. My friend, or sometimes enemy, Casey Seymour was my guest here. He's a Moving Iron podcast uh, show host. He works for 21st Century Equipment in Western Nebraska. He's a sharp dude. He might come back again. We'll just see if we can get along. I don't know. Thanks for joining me. Till next time, it's the Business of Agriculture. Over and out.